This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Focused Car Wash Solutions. Focused Car Wash Solutions is your complete guide to having a successful business in the car wash industry. Visit FocusedCarWash.com for more information. Welcome to The How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hi, welcome to The How of Car Washing with David Begin. My guest today is Derek Kaufman, who's a principal and partner with Swartz Advisors. This is a third podcast we've done, and I wanted to focus specifically this podcast on autonomous vehicles, because I know we've talked about a lot of the technologies that's emerging, but the the end game of all this is how does your vehicle move autonomously through the infrastructure, and where does the future look for that? So, Derek, thanks a lot for joining me, and I'm excited to talk to you about autonomous vehicles. Um, I've heard that there's different categories of autonomy, so it's, it's category one through five. Is that Correct. That's right. Yeah, okay. they call they call them levels, and uh, so level five vehicle is completely autonomous. So the, the you know the vision in the market is that a semi autonomous car uh, might might be a situation where the vehicle understands that it's departing the roadway uh, because it's got lane departure on it. And it moves itself back onto the the uh, roadway using uh, stability control, using anti-lock brakes to to do it safely. Uh, so yeah, there are there are different levels. I think as you get up into level four, uh, that's a situation where I can drive the car or I can push a button, uh, and the steering wheel kind of rotates and moves back into the dashboard, and I'm in full autonomous uh, mode. So it's you know kind of a combination. So it's you know, it's it's a stair step of uh, autonomous features in the vehicle. So I've got a friend who's got a Subaru Outback that's got some of these lane assist technologies to help you know if, if there's a car in your blind spot or if you're moving out of the lane. It also has adaptive cruise control in it, which allows you to to pace behind a car in front of you. So if it slows down, you slow down. If you speeds up, you speed up. Right. Is that is that considered autonomous or not? So let me just explain the levels a little bit. So there, there's levels zero through five. And a, a, a zero uh, is that uh, you have warnings on the car. So you might have lane depa- uh, departure warning or collision warning, uh, but the no vehicle control at all. Uh, then level one, uh, you have uh, a, a warning uh, that tells you to do something, but it's a hands-on so adaptive cruise control might be a good example of uh, a level one. Then level two takes you up another step, and that's hands-off, uh, where the automated system takes full control of the, of the vehicle so that uh, whether it's uh, accelerating or braking or steering uh, is, is handled by the, the vehicle. Uh, as you get in, but you, basically the driver is still fully involved uh, in that situation. Level three is where you begin to have the driver basically take their eyes uh, off the road. So, uh, you know, you can, you're, you're running along, you're still in the driver's seat, and um, uh, you're, you're reading a book. Uh, and the car handles situations of maintaining itself on the road. But uh, if, uh, 
it comes up to some type of situation where it has to, the driver has to intervene. There's a warning come on and the driver comes back in. Um, and then basically level, level four is, is moving toward full autonomy. Uh, and that is that the, the driver doesn't have to really pay uh, any attention at all. That self-driving is only supported in that situation uh, under maybe specific, uh, specific, uh, circumstances that are defined, uh, like uh, the car gets into a traffic jam, uh, and right, so it, it alerts you. And then level level five is there, there's no wheel in the car, uh, and so actually some of these pods that are they're traveling along uh, as taxis in Las Vegas and things, they're they're actual robotic taxis that are level five uh, autonomous control. Okay. Okay. So. Where are where 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 are we kind of at with all of this right now in terms of what's what what's what's the most aggressive we've got out there and what's the most common we've got? Well, I think that you know what we have we have all levels obviously in testing. We have a very high percentage of vehicles now uh, that have some kind of ADOS, advanced driver assistance systems on them. So whether it's lane departure warning or or what they call lane keep assist, uh, which uh, actively takes over the control of the car, that has moved up and down product lines uh, so that. Uh, you know, the cheapest car in the line can have it and the most expensive car in the line has it. Uh, so, you know, that's that's a reality uh, today. The level four and five stuff, uh, that's the, the testing that you see out there, both in cars and trucks now with uh, with auto uh, and Google Waymo uh, testing trucks. Um, um, I guess Uber bought auto, but uh you know, those are those are in test. And, you know, that's what the federal government's looking at from a legislation standpoint to try to understand how do you regulate uh, autonomous vehicles? Who is at fault? Uh, basically, uh, if an autonomous vehicle is, is involved in a crash, uh, how is that going to be uh, litigated basically uh and you can bet that they'll have full cameras on them and and full documentation of how the crash happened uh better than cars do today and um you know so that that's all coming the other thing that is being developed and hasn't been talked about too much is the whole artificial intelligence aspect of autonomous vehicles uh and that is that the the, the vehicles basically learning from past experiences about how to handle the next incident. Uh, so just like we do as we learn to drive a car, AI uh, will take autonomous vehicles and make them, you know, smarter and, and smarter in the future. Yeah. So um, actually in my town of Colorado Springs, I think it was this year, they did the test run of the truck. So they had a yep. Budweiser vehicle right. autonomously drive from Colorado Springs to Denver. And obviously it's on I-25, which is a pretty major highway. Um, I think the driver was in the seat or he was in the passenger seat. I'm not sure which one. As I saw the pictures, the, the driver was in the bunk, but uh, there was a driver and a reporter, a, a camera person in the uh, in the vehicle ready to uh, take control. The interesting thing about that test, and not to belittle the test, I think it's fantastic technology and a great demonstration of what the capability is. But think about it, right? It's it. It was 95% of its time, it was on, on a highway, 
in yeah. a lane, right? Yeah. Uh, so it had a, a pretty limited interaction with uh, urban uh, traffic. Yeah. And and so we talk about AI being the solution for a lot of this. And a lot of people are hearing that term nowadays. And, and I think artificial intelligence is going to be a big part of our lives here in the next five to 10 years in terms of lots of different from healthcare to Sure. automotive technologies to air, airplane technology. The, you know, the, the the big concern, obviously, is people don't understand AI. They don't understand what it can do. But the human brain is so much more sophisticated in its ability to detect issues. You know, if I'm, if I'm driving down the highway, as long as the highway's fine and there's not a lot of traffic, it's a pretty simple solution. But when you start adding traffic, you start adding the unpredictability of other vehicles, you start adding construction, you start adding an accident that just took place. I mean, these are all some pretty, pretty crazy things that can happen that, you know, a lot of us just don't have a lot of confidence in technology to be able to handle. And then when, like you said, when you pull off the road, now I'm in downtown Denver, I'm on Colorado Avenue, for example, and it's a traffic jam and there's lots of things coming at me that adds a whole nother level of complexity. Um, in terms of my ability to, to handle. So what, what do you, what do you well, say to all that? Well, I'll say this, uh, that the utopia of the intelligent transportation system, ITS as people call it, uh, is that in your example, um, all the vehicles would be connected to one another so that when a car three miles out ahead of me drives into a fog bank, it send, is sending a signal back to me and to vehicles around me that traffic is slowing three miles ahead because of fog so that the, the famous 50-car rear-end situation that we see every year someplace in the country um, is a thing of the past because the vehicles are, are connected and understand. Same with, uh, I, don't, I don't know if we'll ever get to a situation where actually everybody gets over on a lane for construction uh, without the... Uh, the you know the crazy person who decides to end run the whole situation go right up to the arrow right, and, right. and pull in front of you. We'll never get rid of that. But yeah. uh, you know you, you can you can envision that uh, technology in the vehicle, vehicle to vehicle, and then also what they call digital short range communication. These are towers alongside the road that are basically relaying signals uh, so that uh, the strength of signal you know up and down the highway can be consistent. Uh, so DSRC uh, you know, really kind of paints a future that is a lot different, should cut down on congestion, should cut down on uh, the, the, the traffic speed variation that you see now. Um, but I, I just think it's a much longer rollout uh, than we're an anticipating. And I, you know, having said that, you see, it seems every vehicle manufacturer is fully into some kind of autonomous program because they feel they, they, they can't not be. Um, so, you know, there is some critical mass coming behind this that suggests that uh, at least in urban centers with dedicated lanes for autonomous vehicles, uh, that, uh, you know, a fair percentage of vehicles uh, will go this way. We at Schwartz Advisors, you know, we believe that it's something like 25% of vehicles by the by the year 2030 uh, will be autonomous vehicles. Maybe four or five million cars on the uh, uh, on the road uh, handling the requirements of autonomous vehicles. 
but we don't see some of the predictions that others have made, which is 90 or 95% of all vehicles being autonomous. Yeah. It seems like when, when you're saying that, there's a tipping point there. So it's going to be a hostile environment for autonomous vehicles if there are still people like me and you know, other ding-dongs out there in the world driving their vehicle, it's still going to be a hostile environment to these autonomous vehicles because of the unpredictability. It seems, you know, and again, I'm just thinking out loud here, but it seems like the system only works if everybody's communicating, talking to one another. And if you have a larger percentage of cars out there that are not, it's going to be a hard road for this complete autonomy that you're talking about. Well, you're raising the whole issue of mandate of of uh, some type of federal law uh, that basically tells you you can no longer drive a vehicle. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that will be a very big fight because you, basically what people talk about is, well, we need to do this for safety. There are 32 or 33,000 people killed on American highways every year. What I would say to that is that that's true and that's terrible. Uh, by the way, it used to be 50,000 people, uh, yeah. and, and with technology, it's reduced. Uh, there is a heavy percentage of the 32 or 33,000 that is alcohol related. So would you like to take all alcohol away again? We tried that once. Uh, there is a, uh, heavy percentage that is now distracted driving, uh, obviously, there are some technology ways around that to uh, basically cancel your your ability to use any type of smartphone, uh, you know, if it uh, detects that it's in a moving vehicle. Uh, but you really need to dissect this and say, this is 32,000 people being killed on American highways for a variety of reasons. Uh, and that is over 3.2 trillion miles traveled on American highways. Uh, so it's a terrible number. But... I don't believe it is a number that warrants taking people's freedom away to drive a vehicle. And that's what this comes down to at some future point. And you, you mentioned contention. That's the contention. It's, it's, it's my personal freedom. You know, the argument is that, well, individually owned cars are only used 5% or four or 5% of the time. They sit in your, sit in your driveway, your garage. Uh, I understand that. Uh, people say, well, it costs you $9,000 a year to, to own a, a vehicle. And, and if you just accessed autonomous vehicles, you could do it for 3000 or $4,000 a year. And my argument back would be that $9,000 of convenience is worth it to me yeah. uh, to have that car sitting there. And that will be the argument. That will be the argument going forward is, is there, a, a, you know, some kind of critical mass of the society where the numbers get to, enough people will vote to say, you can't drive a car in the future. Uh, I don't see it. I don't see it in my lifetime. Um, you know, I, I, I guess, uh, I, I guess it could happen. Uh, you know, we say we were promised jetpacks too. So, yeah, I, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> Flying cars, we were promised that too, and I'm still yep. waiting on mine. But you, you bring up an interesting point, but it's, it's almost like the people making these decisions or coming up with the futuristic ideas of what it's going to look like in the future live in dense populated cities right. where the majority of the country doesn't. We live in urban, we live in suburban areas, or we live in rural areas where there's not going to be that infrastructure in place as, as quickly. Yes. And it's just, you know, I think about a farm vehicle 
in the middle of Kansas. How do you make that autonomous? I, I don't I don't know how that's going to work. And the and the argument is that ninety five percent of all population growth in the world is urban, and so that what they're really talking about here is is urban solutions. I don't think I've seen anybody that said that. Uh, that a hundred percent of vehicles, uh, you know, will be autonomous vehicles, uh, because of the folks in Kansas and Montana. And, and I would argue the folks in, in rural Michigan where I live, uh, I just, you know, I, I can't ever envision calling on an autonomous vehicle and waiting for 20 minutes, you know, to get out to my farm. So it'll take me 20 minutes to dinner in town. Yeah, I, I, you're, I can't, I can't envision that. Yeah. So I mean that, but you know the this the population statistics tell you that urban urban growth is ninety five percent of the game, uh, and that a congestion point inside of major cities is getting to the point that you know that that individual vehicles uh, running through cities, you know, will come to a point where it just doesn't work because you don't have the physical infrastructure to move them in and out uh, every day. So uh, I get that. And, uh, you know, I think that technology can can help that in a lot of ways. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I believe that there, there are city solutions here that autonomous vehicles will absolutely solve. But I'm with you. I don't think uh, you'll see one zipping up and down the, the highway in Montana. Yeah. yeah. And you just think about work vehicles. I mean, even in cities, think about the UPS drivers and the plumbers and the electricians and the people that need their vehicles and the farmers that need their vehicles for work. It's just it's not a model that really lends itself toward autonomous well, fractional ownership vehicles. People need to understand as they, they look at the the U.S. Uh, population of the U.S. car market. It is different than other places in the world. The number one selling car here is the Ford 150. Uh, and it outsells the number one passenger car uh, by about two and a half or three to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? So a Toyota, I think a Toyota Camry is in the between 300,000 and 400,000 a year, uh, and Ford 150 pickup trucks are more like 800,000 or, you know, closer to 900,000 if you take the, the 150, the 250, and the, and, the, and the 350 to combine. So pickup trucks are the number one, two, and three vehicles sold in the United States. Are they going to go autonomous uh, in the future? I think not. Uh, so I think the answer is, as it is in most things, someplace in the middle here, uh, totally pro-autonomous vehicles think it makes a lot of sense in a lot of applications, uh, but it doesn't make sense elsewhere. Sure, sure. Yeah, so there's going to be some more thought that's got to be put behind that. This episode of The How of Car Washing is sponsored by Focused Car Wash Solutions. Focused Car Wash Solutions is your complete guide to having a successful business in the car wash industry. Whether you are a new investor or a seasoned operator looking to make improvements, the experienced team at Focus can help you every step of the way. For more information, please go to FocusedCarWash.com. So from a car wash, let's talk about from a car wash operators. I think I've identified three areas for my listeners who are obviously the most advanced car wash operators in the, in the country, in the world. Um, three things I think we need to think about as we start moving our business forward. So the, the, the business model 
of primarily business to consumer could change. Do you, do you agree with that? that is, what, what do I need to think about from how will my model change over time? So this, this brings us back to the issue of, of uh, fractional ownership or car sharing uh, or fleet operation of vehicles in the, in the sense of autonomous. So it won't be, and, and you see this term now, IO, individually owned vehicles, right? So okay. uh, that, that will change our industry, um, some portion of it, uh, away from business to consumer and more to business to business. Uh, so that your 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 challenge then uh, is to be out front anticipating this change. What are the companies coming into your area? Uh, how do you get out in front of them so that they don't need to invest in the infrastructure to keep their cars clean because you already have it? Right. Okay. Good. Good. And then the other part of that is the ADAS technology. So as a car wash operator and owner, which that's what you're working on and the ICA is working on is how do we. How do we better understand that, but also how do we educate our car wash community, our workers, and then how do we communicate the car wash makers, the, the car, car wash car makers, not car wash makers, but how do we educate the OEs on our challenges and our needs for disabling that? Exactly. So, to, so today we have the, the Wild West situation of all kinds of different safety technology being put on cars in different ways. So Ford is doing it differently than GM, it's different than Chrysler, different than BMW or whatever. Uh, as you go into the owner's manuals to understand how to properly set the car up for car washes so the collision avoidance doesn't go off in the middle of the, the tunnel uh, or the stop-start system doesn't kill the engine uh, in the middle of the automatic tunnel, um, those deactivation instructions are in the owner's manuals of these vehicles but they're all over the place. Some of them are five-step processes to turn something off. Uh, individual technologies in the same car require multiple steps to turn each one off and on. So what, what we have done is we have surveyed car wash operators. We understand by percentage what types of problems they're having with vehicles, how many vehicles they're putting uh operators into to ride through the vehicle to make sure it doesn't stop in the middle of the tunnel. Uh, and we, we are building a portal to bring that owner's manual information into that portal so you can instruct your, your customers how to properly set up their car. That's step number one. But step number two, we're advocating with vehicle manufacturers uh, to just make them aware of the of the issues. And I will tell you that the conversations we're having, and it's very difficult to have the conversation to find the right point inside the vehicle manufacturer to have the conversation. I had one yesterday. I won't mention the name or the brand, uh, but I had one yesterday and the surprise in the guy's voice was, you're kidding me. You know, know, that's really somebody, a car hits from behind. Yeah. Yes. You know, when the car stops, the rollers are soaked up. They they slip underneath the tires, and the car behind you slams into you. Wow! So it's that kind of reaction. People had not anticipated this. It's the you know it's the the law of unintended consequences, right? So we're trying to do this. Frankly, we probably are, are headed toward an SAE, a Society of Automotive Engineering solution here, where there is a standard that says here is how. Uh, the various ADOS technologies are terminated uh, into a 
a setup button inside the vehicle, a car wash button, if you will. Uh, and uh, it, it, when you push it, it activates a timer, turns the system off for so many minutes, uh, and then turns it back on to take away the liability from the car wash operator and the OE or the, the vehicle manufacturer uh, so that the system reactivates itself and is on as the car uh, leaves the wash. And then level three is a telematic solution where there's a sensor in the car wash, vehicle pulls in, it now knows it's in a car wash, it handles the setup of all its ADOS technology automatically. And frankly, you're going to need an autonomous car will need step three. Uh, It's the only way it's going to work. So making people aware of that and getting this through uh, is, is laborious. It's just really tough because you're, you're trying to, you know, connect at, at different levels and different companies, and they all have their own bureaucracy and their, you know, their own traps that they need to run through. And I honor the, the work we're working with general counsel offices here. And we completely honor the challenges they have and the liability that they see. Uh, so we get it. Uh, but by the, by the same token, we got to stop cars slamming into cars and car washes. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So question for you, why are driver's manuals so complicated and big? I remember, you know, we used to buy a car 20, 30 years ago, and it was an afternoon sitting in your car flipping through the manual. Why Why are they so big now? I mean, it, is, is it a, are attorneys writing them or is it really helpful information? The, the interesting thing is, and I will say this just from observation, that individual systems are designed by individual engineering groups inside a company. They're not necessarily talking to one another uh, as to how their systems work uh, in the car, other than you know the connection to the CAN bus of the vehicle, the the, the architecture of the the vehicle. There, no one is, seems to be taking a holistic look uh, at how how these systems terminate uh, inside a vehicle uh, so that you can activate them or, or, or deactivate them. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's number one. Uh, number two is a lot of vehicle manufacturers have a third-party company that's actually writing the owner's manual. So there's companies like Tweedle and, and Helm out there uh, who write a lot of the, uh, of the owner's manuals. Uh, and they're, you know, they're, they're getting a, an engineering direction, obviously, from the vehicle manufacturer, uh, but they, they write it. And then uh, a lot of tier one companies uh, are actually administering uh, some of the licensing uh, of, the, of the content. It's all copyrighted content, hmm. so you, you need uh, permission to use it, even though I can take my owner's manual and hand it to you and you can read it. It's copyrighted information. So for the international car wash association to use it, we need permission. Yeah. It's a little challenging as we're finding out. And then the third big thing is autonomous cars. So sometime in my future, hopefully I'm going to see a car without a driver drive up to my car wash and want to wash. And so the challenges we're going to have in our industry of how do I accommodate a driverless vehicle from everything from the payment process to the queuing process, and even more importantly, the loading process, how do I load an autonomous car? Because a lot of times the loader will, will the, the driver will queue off the loader in terms right. of making sure they're, they're right. And, you know, maybe our conveyor technology 
as we talked about in our first podcast, you know, being able to put a car in neutral, what was the purpose of neutral in a transmission that's going away? Well, that's a fundamental part of our loading process in the car wash industry on, on conveyors. So, you know, what do we need? We're going to have to look at our industry from an OEM standpoint. The equipment manufacturers are going to have to start thinking about these new vehicles that are coming out and how do we manufacture equipment that can support that. But just how do you handle autonomous cars? Yeah. So there is a there is an old airport in Detroit called the Willow Run Airport. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, a, kind of a business airport for many years. It's been taken over uh, by a group called the American Center for Mobility. Uh, and uh, Andy Smart uh, is the, the head of that. He was a former CTO of uh, SAE. Uh, ACM uh, has basically built uh, an autonomous vehicle testing center on the Willow Run Airport. And uh, they are very interested in incorporating a car wash uh, on this site uh, to understand exactly what you're asking. How will autonomous cars interact with a car wash? My first thought for you, David, is that an autonomous car will have a, a, a lot better shot at lining up its tires to the rails uh, than a lot of people pulling in a car washes to today. Oh, yeah. I would agree <laughs> so, with that. I've, I've seen yeah, it happen too many times. So yeah, that, that might be the, the positive <laughs> on it. But the, the other thing is it's, this is a telematic solution. So there'll, there'll be sensors in the car wash that a, a vehicle will, will uh, drive up, no driver in the car at all. Uh, it will know it's at a car wash and um, you know, the sensor will tell it to, to uh, you know, properly set itself up for the tunnel uh, and, um, you know, it'll go through, there'll be a sensor on the other end to tell it that the, the wash is done. It'll reactivate all the systems and it'll drive off. Uh, and over a period of time, uh, maybe, maybe car wash tunnel technology, uh, was, you know, some of these moving platforms, for instance, you know, that's a good solution, mm -hmm. uh, for this, but it's a big infrastructure solution. So that's going to take time to change in the industry. So we believe that the vehicle manufacturers need to uh, kind of adapt to the reality of a wide range of car wash types. And, uh, that, you know, the, the way to do that is with sensor technology to, to tell the car where it is. Yeah, good, good, yeah. And there's some things we're going to have to do on our end in this industry to to accommodate that as well, as well as, you know, do we stick with conveyors? Do we start moving to Bell technology, um, which solves a lot of these problems? You know, we're going to have to think about those things. So good discussion. Yep. Yep. So, Derek, that was fantastic. I always enjoy getting to visit with you. It's, it's a fascinating subject, and I guess I'm more of a car guy than I give myself credit for because I very much enjoy our conversations. But if people want to find out more information about you and your organization, where would you send them to? Well, I'm with Schwartz Advisors. I'm a managing partner there. And you can go to www.schwartzadvisors.com. And Schwartz is S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z, then the word advisors, no space. And uh, you'll see that, uh, that we do all of our work in the auto aftermarket and, and we love it. Okay, great, great. Maybe, I mean, you know, I'd love to have another conversation with you sometime in the future. Maybe we can talk about the aftermarket M&A part of that and what you're seeing and what's emerging. So maybe we can have a conversation. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting topic about, you know, what are the values of, of, uh, of car wash type companies and, you know, what, what are the trends uh, in the market there? We're, we're, we're tracking that every day. 
Good, good. Well, let's yeah. do that then. So Derek, Great. thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating. Appreciate your information. I know our listeners are going to enjoy it and we'll look forward to talking soon. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the How of Car Washing. And thanks to our show sponsor, Focused Car Wash Solutions. Please visit us at thehowofcarwashing.com for the show notes to this episode. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.